Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, we've got Ryan Turner from Tempo Storm. Now, I had Tempo's founder and CEO, Raynad or Andre, on before, and I wanted to really back it up with Ryan, who does all of their partnerships and sponsorship management. Tempo Storm have been doing things very differently um, from the lens of an esports team. They've gotten hardcore into creating innovative content online with IRL streaming and also being big in the card gaming space along with making their own game now. So who better to have on board than the second man in charge, Ryan? This is an interesting podcast, so hopefully you enjoy it too. For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an esports fundamentals course which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market whether you're coming straight out of college university high school or whether you're trying to transition from another sport to provide support for all of you we're offering a pay as you feel model so you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education if you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now at all that's perfectly fine we're able to offer it up to you for free you can pay now you can pay later you can choose whatever you want the course is usually 127 dollars aud you can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford hopefully this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term ryan we're live how are you doing fantastic chris how's it going man yeah good cold but not too bad but I think for I think for everyone who's tuning in, they need to hear the story that you just told me about your scampering over the border before oh, yeah. the coronavirus shutdowns yeah. came in. Yeah, my Canadian origin story. No, so I'm actually yeah. from uh, man. Uh, so I'm from South Carolina originally. Moved out to San Francisco, LA, uh, California area for for my career with gaming. And then mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so me and my wife were based in San Francisco as of you know a month and a half ago. But uh, as of two weeks ago, now we're citizens of uh, Edmonton, Canada. <laughs> so uh, my wife is Canadian. Uh, we were based in San Francisco. She was looking to start a company uh, with a Canadian co-founder first. And then COVID hit and uh, Trudeau came on, came on his uh, announce, uh, came out and announced that he was going to be potentially closing the borders, but probably not. The next day he says, OK, we're going to close the borders of Canada. So we had to uh, pack up everything we had literally overnight in San Francisco, drive to Canada in three days, get up to the border before it closed. And uh, now we're quarantined in Edmonton. <laughs> so yeah, wow. a shift for me. I'm living in my beautiful little studio here. <laughs> this is my quarantine life. So it's been <laughs> so uh, that- quite, quite an adjustment. Yeah. So does that mean that all of Tempo is working remotely or just you or? Yeah. So most the majority of Tempo works remotely. We do now have a, uh, our headquarters and content house in Beverly Hills, um, which uh, we actually will be releasing a, like a house tour video here soon. I believe in okay. the next couple of weeks on our channel. So uh, Andre, our CEO, uh, some of our prominent content creators like Jake and Bake and a few others uh, live at that house in, in Beverly Hills. And then we have yeah, okay. a, a full-fledged studio in North Hollywood where we do our productions out of. And then we'll be getting a, a house in Vegas for our Rainbow Six, uh, Rainbow Six team here in the next couple of months as well. But yeah, everybody mm-hmm. else is scattered around Seattle, Canada, uh, LA, no- North Bay. Uh, kind of, yeah, a little bit around all of America. How do you find the physical model like with Content House and stuff? It seems like people go in, in peaks and troughs, you know, Click mm-hmm. Crew in Australia had a Content House for a while that lasted a year or so. Misfits in Australia had one for a while. You see it happened with YouTubers in the US as well. They always, you know, hey, let's get a Content House, jump in together, have a great time. And it, it, it always seems to have like a certain lifespan, which is a year, maybe two years, <laughs> yeah. like if you yeah. stretch it and then. Yeah, then it always always breaks down. What's what's your opinion on that? It's um, I think it has clear advantages and disadvantages. That I, th- I think the most obvious disadvantage is you're you're around the same people every day, in and out. Like there is no real privacy in these content houses. It's 
Like mm. I can actually relate really well to it because uh, previous to my uh, stint in the video game industry and my uh, career at HPE, I was actually a full-time tour musician. So I was touring the country for about eight years, uh, coast mm. to coast, east to west coast. We're about playing about 300 shows a year uh, mm. in a band. So I was with the same five, six, seven guys in a van all day, every day for 300 days a year. And yeah. it takes a really special, uh, I don't know, man, like uh, a really special like um, alignment there. I think with, with I think being in a band, it's a, it's a lot easier to uh, to align yourself with this. Your North Star is you're trying to make it, right? You're trying to make it big. If you want the band to be, to be successful, so it's a lot easier to merge those personalities and like cater to one another to reach that goal together. In a content house, it's mm. not so much. You're, you're each there to create content, but it's your own content. Um, and so I think, it's it's definitely kind of a, a tinderbox for flare up of personalities clashing things like that and i think it's just adjusting to a very particular lifestyle that a lot of people have a hard time adjusting to uh, if, if that makes sense yeah yeah and i guess you're always on right a lot of the always time on. like you see content right. houses they're kicking each other's bedroom doors down and surprising them with throwing water in their face and, <laughs> exactly you know that's you're not on crazy somebody else is. yep exactly yeah uh, obviously the advantages are you get some really good content um, you know, mm. you have, you're able to leverage one of those audiences. Uh, there's, there's a lot of crossover potential for co- collaboration, uh, which is something that I think in, in the creative space is always a, a hard issue to tackle. It's like, you know, especially even as an esports team, you know, you have, uh, Remus Six Siege and then you have Hearthstone. And like, how do you blend those audiences? Like, it, there's no clear connection other than personalities. Mm. The personality from, uh, is, is the connecting point between those two completely different titles. Um, so. Yeah. That's a bridge. It's a, a natural advantage of, say, a content house. So how do you go from, from touring 300 days a year to, to the esports market? You don't even have time to play That's games, fair. do you, touring that much? I don't, I don't have time to tell the story. You know, it's, uh, no, I don't. Yeah, not at all. It was um, a lot of, man, back in that day, it was a lot of World, World of Warcraft on my laptop. That's about all I yep. could do. Maybe, maybe some league games every now and then. Uh, no, I just, um, you know, cut my teeth, started my own business, uh, building a brand that way, you know, learning how to network with, with people day in and day out, 300 shows a year. Um, my responsibilities were to, you know, book the shows and to build a network to be able to do more shows. Um, so going from that, I took that particular skill set, uh, molded into kind of a sales structure. You know, I figured that, uh, sales was a very natural, uh, progression for me, uh, meeting mm-hmm. people where their needs are, um, my, my personalities, like forging relationships. So I got into entry level sales job, work my way up there, uh, got into partnership management, love that. You know, that's more of a relationship based sales. It's not like I'm trying to sell products. It's, it's, I'm trying to sell, uh, you know, me and, and mm-hmm. the relationship there. So did that for about two and a half years at HPE, which is a Hewlett Packard enterprise. It's going to be the enterprise, uh, branch of HP, uh, mm-hmm. Work my way up to regional sales for the Pac Northwest region for uh, our channel partners. So I was managing about 300 accounts in the Pacific Northwest there. Um, and from there, you know, I've always had a love for gaming, uh, as most of us do, you know, before we get into the industry, especially uh, guys and girls, you know, you know, my age and, and your age, we are the ones that there was no structure for uh, a career in this, in this industry yet. Um, so we had yeah. to, you know, we're the ones that you're seeing. Coming from these extremely diverse backgrounds, building and bringing these particular skill sets, um, and having to be the jack of all trades, so to speak. Um, and now we're seeing a much bigger refinement of, of the roles in this industry, in particular as the industry grows. You know, we're getting more and more specialized people in, uh, which is fantastic. Um, so that's a whole other topic. I'm kind of going down a little rabbit hole there. Yeah, uh, okay. we can get it. We can get that in a minute. But yeah, so essentially, um, 
to put my, uh, you know, put the boots to the ground, started hitting the, uh, you know, I, I decided a, I found a path in esports that I wanted to go into. I thought I was very prepared mm-hmm. to do it. And that's a uh, partnership management sponsorships. Um, so at that point I just decided to build out presentations and projects for teams, even though I wasn't even on the team yet or the organization, I just did the work before I had the job. Mm-hmm. Um, went to every networking event I could in the Bay area in LA. I was driving out LA from San Francisco, probably, uh, three times a month. Uh, every every Saturday, just about about a five and a half hour drive, going to Invent Global conferences or whatever conferences were available, going to after parties, networking events, and just uh, putting myself in front of uh, industry leaders, CEOs, team owners, until finally got in with uh, Team Immortals and took over accounts for them for uh, the Immortals, LA Valiant, and MIBR branches of the of I guess what is now IGC or Immortals Gaming Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an in- interesting entry. I think you know I think a lot of the stuff that. Uh, we talked about this before that I really want to talk to you about today is, is I guess the way that sales and partnerships works in esports. Obviously, we had, you know, your CEO, Andre or, or Raynad on before to kind of talk about, you know, company direction and that kind of stuff. But I want to definitely want to talk today about some specifics towards you. So here's a direct, here's a direct, it's kind of like a, a thinking piece for you. So I was talking to an esports team, I was consulting for a small esports team the other day. And quite often the question is, you know, how much should I sell? myself to a sponsor for how much should i ask them for how do i approach them and also kind of what am i selling and i realized after talking to so many of these small teams that i feel like so many people have it backwards a lot of the time they create the esports team they purchase the counter-strike team they make their twitter account they start running tournaments and then they say okay how much can i sell this for or who should i approach to actually sell this for whereas say when i was working at corsair it, it goes the opposite way with a large company. They say, we need to make an $85 headset. So let's go make an $85 headset. And that's, you start with the price and then you decide what components you want to use rather than the other way around. Let's say Tesla put together a car, built the batteries, did the R&D, pushed the car out and said, okay, how much is this worth? Like it's very yeah. unlikely. It's likely that exactly what Elon Musk did was said, we're going to make a $35,000 car. Then they went and made it for that exact market. Do you, do you see that? In, in the market as well, yourself, like people seem to have this thing a little bit backwards. I, I think it's, it's a result of just the infancy of the market as a whole. It's, it's tough to sell a product that you don't know the value of because it hasn't been done before. Um, mm. So I think a lot of cases we're, we're still very much in a, um, I would still call it a proof of concept phase, uh, more or less. So we would say, uh, let's say, um, if it's a new game, like the esports title, for example, we don't know the viewership. We don't know what uh, the tournament structure is or the longevity of it may be. We, we don't, there's a lot of factors we don't know what can play into like the value of this thing that we have or that we're going to get involved in that is unproven. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things like so for, for the Tesla example, um, the car market is, is proven. Like, there's there's very particular price points that I'm sure there's an infinite amount of market research on that. Uh, you know, manufacturers have about the purchasing habits of consumers, right? You know, would a consumer typically spend $35,000 for this uh, all electric Tesla car? Um, the answer is yes, right? Uh, actually, that is something that they've been begging for is, is a um, an entry level affordable mm-hmm. electric vehicle. So there's a need for that. So they build it. Um, for us, so for the esports industry, I think we're getting to the point to where we're starting to determine the value of things. And what does that mean? You know, if I have a 20,000 concurrent streamer, right, that, that has a, I don't know, 
35% engagement rate from their audience every time they turn the stream on. Like I can start to build a very rough value around that and say, mm-hmm. I have this thing, it's worth this. And then I can base everything else I bring in around that, uh, uh, everything else I bring in around that figure. Um, so I would say it's it's a mix of both, if, if, if that's making sense, what I'm trying to get across here. Um, I think mm-hmm. we're still very much in a phase that we're trying to figure out what the value of things are. And I, th- I think another unique thing about this industry is that not a lot of people own everything as far as, you know, we may have the influencer or the content creator under the Tempo brand, but we don't own the platform that they broadcast on. So therefore we cannot determine the, the particular value of what a, a brand piece may, may be on that platform, right? Uh, you know, I can't go out and sell ads on Twitch to get revenue for my streamer that broadcasts on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that make sense? So I think that there's yeah. a there's a big breakdown a breakdown in diversification of, of the revenue or along the revenue stream that goes to you know, four or five different sources instead of one or two. Um, so it's, mm. it's it's a little bit tricky to determine the value of things around that. Yeah, and you and you're right in like I don't I don't think there's a right answer either, but it's just been an interesting thing for me, and I've I've fallen into that trap in the past too. It's kind of like create, you know, create first and price later, and that's yeah. why. You know, I think it's important that I have a co-director in my company who's from traditional business. Well, he's from gaming business, but not esports. And he's the money guy. And what I usually say is kind of, I'm oh, good cop, he's bad cop. <laughs> and sometimes I'll come to him with his awesome idea. And I did at the start when we first started the company. I had this awesome idea where I was on the plane and I had a beer or two. And then I thought, you know what would be awesome? I really want, I want a Lamborghini. And a <laughs> Lamborghini, the, the cheapest Lamborghini is like 140 grand. And what I could do is I could build a racing sim in a Lamborghini, chuck sponsor logos all over it, take it to universities, and then actually have a racing simulator in the passenger seat of a Lamborghini. And I had a guy, you know, ready to do it. And, you know, and then did some very basic math in my head and went, you know, it like a, like a GT Toyota 86 would be a little bit more affordable, more like 30 grand for the car rather than 140 to start off with. (laughs) And we could literally even drive that car interstate to do it. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I did some maths and, and then figured out, had my Corsair hat on and figured out the way I could cover my costs. But then I went to go talk to my other director and was like, Chris, this makes no sense. You're not going to make any money. But I'm like, yeah, I can get a car and I can cover my costs. And he's like, why do you want a depreciating asset? That's ridiculous. And yeah, I was yeah. like, you know what? You're right. Like, I'm thinking about this exactly the wrong way. And I think that helps. And I, I think some other times too is that people don't, people don't have assets sliced up to sell, if that makes sense. Yep. Like, you can't. And, and I understand, like, I'm working with another startup at the moment, and they want us to help achieve a certain number for them. And I was like, guys, how did you get to this number? And they were like, I don't know, it's kind of a guess. And it's like, well, why am I beholden to this number as a KPI when yeah. you're literally guessing? And we can't go from zero to 100 because you don't even know whether 100 is achievable or it's possible or, or anything yeah. like that whatsoever. And I find that a lot of the time, I've had this myself with with um, helping, say, influencers sell their product, is that... You know, you just kind of like scattershot out there and you just, you just contact everyone. You contact like three peripheral guys and you contact like a graphics card supplier and you contact an engineering company. Mm. Whereas, you know, and you would definitely have experience in this. If like a traditional sports team, let's say, they're very clear about what they can and can't sell. They're like, okay, yeah. we've got three assets on the jersey to sell. We've got a back logo, we've got a front logo, and then we've got a side logo. And yeah, this one's worth this on much. Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah. And we know that we really can't have an energy drink. So we really want to 
find a car, you know, we're, we're going to lose Toyota as a sponsor. So we need to go find a car and that's it. And then they're laser focused and they're like, all right, car sponsor, $500,000 side of Jersey. Let's go. Whereas I think a lot of the time, and I've had this personal experience is just too much lack of like specific direction where it's just like, I got to get some money in somehow as a startup, just go and talk to everyone. And then you, <laughs> yeah. then you just get nowhere. No, it's, no, it's a, it's a good point. I think, and, and, and I definitely want to get across the point too, that you never want to devalue yourself. At least if you're in, if you're in a position to where you can afford to say no, it's always good. It's not like saying yes is not always a good thing. Um, yeah. For example, so I guess, I guess to break down like what our process or, you know, what Tempo's process is a little bit more is, you know, fortunately we, we are a known entity in the space. We've been around for six years now. Um, we own the card game strategy game market. Uh, mm. you know, we, we have our footprint and we're, we're developing that even further. We can get that further in the call, but, um, you know, we, we spent a lot of time figuring out what is our voice? What is our direction? What is our North star? Who are we and what kind of impact do we want to make? And so with that in mind, you know, we take that and then we apply it to the more practical things like you're talking about, like, okay, now realistically on our Jersey, how many spots can I sell? Can I do two clavicle, one chest? Do I even want to do the chest? Because uh, is that even on brand for us, right? Like is the value of the tempo brand on the chest uh, just not worth giving up to, uh, you know, another partner that would take mm. that spot. Um, does that go against our, our, our creed or the way we want to be, uh, seen in this, uh, visualizing the scene? Um, so then I determine you, you, there's a lot of factors to weigh against that, right? So you have to say like, the most basic form is what is, what, what kind of impressions can I get around the, where that jersey is going to be seen? Is it going to be worn by all of my content creators? Is it going to be worn by just my Siege team or just my Hearthstone players or, you know, just 10 players, whatever it may be? And you have a value, you determine a value in your, in your head around what's a really rough market value for X amount of impressions or X amount of, you know, concurrent viewers on a tournament, whatever it may be. And then you use that as, and then you say, okay, what's my cost? You factor that into your cost. And what's my cost reduction for the jersey? What is my theoretical cost for not being able to sell that spot the next year? Right? You have to you have to account for that too. Like yeah. every piece of ass or every piece of inventory that you're selling is a piece of inventory that you can't sell for the next however long the contract is. There's a cost to that. So you factor that cost in as well. And that's essentially that's a very rough baseline of okay, at the very minimum, I need to hit X amount of dollars. Now I want to add my you know, my sales margin on top of that, whether it be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%, whatever margin may be to hit whatever goals I want to hit on revenue for the year, we add that on on top of that. Um, but at the end of the day, even if we have, we're, again, we're, we're, fortunate to, we're fortunate enough to be in a position to where at the end of the day, we're not, we're still in startup mode, but we're not in a mode to where like, if a brand comes to us, says, hey, we're going to give you $500,000, but you have to do this, 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 and this, and it goes against everything that we stand for or everything that we want to represent, we're in a position where we can say, no, like it doesn't make sense for us. Can we pivot to this mm-hmm. instead? And if they're like, no, then fine, we walk away. Because to us, the last six years that we spent building this brand in the last year and a half, even that we spent really refreshing it and really getting a sense of purpose behind it is more important to us than the potential lost revenue uh, in the immediate because we know we're going to make it back in the future if we stay, mm-hmm. if we stick to our guns, right? Yeah, there's a couple of interesting things you said there. I think number one is, you know, what's my cost and what's my margin? Mm-hmm. And that's a, you know, that's a discussion that I had to learn early in the startup piece of, you know, 
taking employees and how much time are they going to spend running an event? Like, yes, you know, we could spin up an event for a local company and charge them $5,000, but if it's going to take one of my or two of my employees, you know, a hundred hours of their time, how much does that cost internally paying their wages plus super plus payroll tax and all that kind of stuff as well. And really having those, those documents drilled down. I think that's one thing that, you know, a lot of people don't do. And it's the boring side of business. And once yep. again, why, you know, I think it's so important to have traditional business people joining with these esports teams as well to be that realism checker like like what we have. And the other interesting thing you said and kind of spinning a little bit differently to what you said is like, can I afford um, not to have this sponsorship, for example? Um, and that's an interesting discussion I've had a little bit with YouTubers. So a lot of the time, you know, YouTubers will have a very specific price that they'd like to charge for something. And quite often that's based off market price, which is um, what their friends can charge. Um, and whether it's worth it or not is is up to discussion sometimes. But there's there's quite often that the YouTuber won't drop that price whatsoever. And I had an interesting discussion between me and one of my friends who manages a few guys. And this guy wanted, I can't remember what the amount was, but it was kind of trivial. It was something like he, he wants $3,000 per pre-roll and he got offered $2,000 per pre-roll if he booked in for a year worth of pre-rolls with this company um, and booked a specific amount per month, let's say three or so. And then it was his opinion that, well, I'm losing a thousand dollars per pre-roll. But then, you know, as, as I was talking to this, this friend, I said, we'll go back through his last 30 videos and how many of those actually have sponsorship on them. Yeah. It's like five out of 30. So you're not really, you're actually losing the two thousand dollars that you could be receiving. You're not, you're not booked out a hundred percent of the time. So is it worth just dropping that price a little bit for that consistent income, you know, to come in over that period of time? It's, it's my opinion that, that yes is oh, yeah. the answer, but. But sometimes it's hard. I've got another friend that, you know, tried to work with an energy drink company and uh, and a YouTuber who gets 500 to a million views per video and they didn't want to sip an energy drink for $250,000 a year because they were arguing over a 10% fee or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, just the just the notion of $20,000, you know, mean they just threw the 250k out the window because they were like, no, nah, <laughs> can't yeah. be bothered. And, and, yeah. you know, we've had that with, with other influencers signing on, you know, we had an influencer sign an $8,000 deal, do the training and they just be like, nah, don't want to do it anymore. So <laughs> sometimes, you know, sometimes it's yeah. like that, but I think that it's, I think it's good to get the money in no matter how you can. And that's, they're the kind of YouTubes that I love working with. You know, I do a lot of work with this Minecraft YouTube called Fusion Droid. We just did an ASUS campaign and we're doing another one right now um, that will be upcoming soon. And. I love it because he's got a standard price, but he's like, hey, money's money. And I haven't sold any of these videos anyway. So as long as I'm not doing a pre-roll for $10 or something stupid like that, you know, I'm happy to discount it a bit because I'm getting some revenue through the door. Yep. No, that's, a, that's, that's I think, exactly the mind, the mindset and the approach that I would strongly advise for whether whether you are an influencer or, or an organization is that if you have inventory to sell, sell it. Otherwise, it's just, it's worthless. Um, you're yeah. doing content for free that, that you can monetize, that people out there do want to monetize on. Um, so yeah, just like you said, Chris, it's just it's just missed potential revenue, right? Mm. Um, the only exceptions I would make to that are, uh, like we talked about earlier, like proof of concepts. You know, there are, even with us, uh, with you know our show uh, Game Changers, which is um, the basically live interactive uh, travel show that we do with personalities like Jake and Bake, who's uh, one of the top personalities on the Just Chatting category on Twitch where we're flying him around the world. We're, we're curating these eight to 10 episode series where you know, we're working with partners to come up with tools to make 
uh, Twitch chat as interactive as possible so that the, the viewer has the agency to interact and affect what's happening on the screen. Um, such as, I mean, think of like Anthony Bourdain, if, if his show, you know, you could actually talk to Anthony and you can affect what it is that he's eating or the, the places he's going or what he's doing, like during his broadcast, yeah, um, yeah. that level of interaction, this was not a proven concept, uh, for a while. You know, we, uh, we actually first rolled out show with, with Andre or Raynad, um, last end of 2018, I believe. And, you know, flew him around the world to, to Chile and Thailand and these other in all over Europe to do a, a race with Red Bull around Europe. Um, and I think we're a little bit early on our execution. I think the idea was there and it was well received, but I think as a whole, the just chatting category hadn't quite caught on yet. And this was something that, that transcended that even this is the next level of IRL content um, with this 1080p, you know, 4k camera or 4k red camera level quality that you don't even see now outside of us. Um, but at the time it was a little bit early like we, it was, it was tough. You know, we got Red Bull and a couple of other partners to bring on just because the concept was so big. Uh, it was attractive, but we've mm-hmm. definitely had uh, scenarios to where we want to do this new studio show or this new concept of a game show or whatever it is that we're going to be rolling out soon that people just can't, or brands can't quite grasp it or they, 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 they're a little hesitant to get their feet wet because it's not a proven concept yet. Um, so in those scenarios, I would say it's worth it to give up on the, like if you can't find the inventory or if you can't find the revenue to fill that inventory with or the sponsors to fill that inventory with, um, that's acceptable. Uh, just don't make that a habit. <laughs> I would, I would say, right. Like once you get a few of those POCs under your belts, um, now you should have a lot, plenty of ammo to go out and find these brands and look what we've done. It's like what we're setting, you know, we're, we're pioneering whatever this, this form of the scene or content is. Um, mm. Like you need to be on there with us. How are you saying that, sponsorship sales market for a team as a whole. Like I, I talked in length with um, Jeffrey Pabst from the Chief Revenue Officer from FaZe about this and I talked to Matt Roche from the Pittsburgh Knights about this and, and a few others as well. And a, a couple of things come back from them. So I'd love your comments on this and then, and then also your wider thoughts. So number one is that Jeff is worried um, about and, and similar to what you were saying is um, further proof of concepts in the market. He, you know, it's in butchering his words with a rough quote is if you go to a um, NFL team in the US, they can say, yes, Toyota, I'll provide you with an 8% uplift in sales if you sponsor me, the Dallas Cowboys. And that's, and that's provable. Whereas an esports team, a lot of the time, they're like, well, you get access to a new, cool, exciting esports market and I'm going to play in the League of Legends World Finals. So yeah. that's that's what you get. We're um, a marketing engine. That's that's every yeah. sports, sports team as a marketing engine, <laughs> not a sales. Yeah, engine, but yeah, that's so, yeah, yeah. So seeing that, and then on the other side, f- for me, with a lot of the work that I'm doing, say with Unicorn, a global betting company, um, mm-hmm. with some re- retailers here in Australia, with some apps that we're doing some promotion with as well, they they all want something to be provable. And they also all want the person doing the promotion to take some form of risk as well. So using an example of a few campaigns we've done is, is we've sponsored an influencer at a 20, 30% discount, but provided them with a very high commission, but also a sales target to reach for that commission that says, look, you're on a trial contract right now. We think you can achieve this and we'll help you achieve this. We'll write the copy for you. We'll tell you what content to post. We'll consult with you. Um, but if you don't achieve this, we, we won't renew your contract for the second term. Um, so the brand is still taking the risk because they're paying some money up front, but obviously the influencer or the marketing person should be compensated because if nothing else, there's some brand equity in there that they're sharing. 
but still the onus is on them to deliver. And what we found is that sometimes that works really well where the influencer will then do, you know, we've got one CSGO YouTuber who's done three videos for free because he really wants to overachieve on that. And now that's working because we've got a meeting with him in 48 hours to discuss a long-term contract with his client and things like that too. So I'm really interested to see, you know, what you're seeing around that provability of sponsorship and are you getting the, the same questions from the endemic or non-endemic sponsors? Yeah, it's, it's one we get pretty regularly, um, especially with, obviously your products and brands that are more focused on a a physical product or service or, uh, you know, there's, I think, I feel like it's almost becoming part of the story to where the marketing part of the partnership is a given at this point. It's, it's on us to prove that either a, we can do more than that. And this, here's how we're going to do it. Or B, we have to pivot their mindset from being a sales focused uh, you know, activation or partnership, whatever it may be, into seeing the value of what the marketing uh, aspect of what we can provide is. And, mm. you know, sometimes we can't reach that point, uh, which is, which is fine. Um, but, you know, thankfully here at Tempo, you know, we have very specific initiatives that are ROI focused, right? Uh, so when we do have brands that come to us, come to us and say, Hey, we want to give you, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars to do X, Y, Z, but we want to see, a 30% return on sales or 50. Usually it's like a hundred percent return on sales, which is mm. pretty unrealistic. Um, but then, so now it's on us to build out a case of, okay, I can get you 30% of sales. Here's how I'm going to do it. You know, the 70% we've made up over time because of here's what we're going to do the marketing uh, side of things. Here's yeah. where the spend is going to go. And again, it's just like a, it's just like a marketing team at any other you know, major corporation. You know, I was, mm. I was at HPE for, for two and a half years and, you know, the the biggest business we had were uh, current customers. Number one, number two, were customers that had seen our branding or our promotions or whatever it is it somewhere, whether it's at, a, at an event or uh, industry marketing or whatever it may be. But it, it came from the marketing team. But it took you know six months, a year, a year and a half to cultivate that sales yeah. base, um, which we can apply to esports. It's just harder for some brands to see this new industry. It's these huge numbers and this huge viewership and they just see dollar signs, right? But it's uh, it's not a direct yeah. correlation. So yeah, yeah I'll go Chris and about to say something. Yeah, and the, other, and the other way that I've done it to, to think about that in another numbers way is with the CPA, working with the client, yeah. you know, added 20% on top of the CPA compared to a Facebook campaign because understanding mm-hmm. that there is some branding, there is some marketing and there is some long tail in there more than just the month promotion. Yep. And another thing I've been doing lately too is I've been, if I can shift their mindset to be a little bit more creative and a little bit more accepting of not so sales focused, but a little bit more, what are the other benefits here? Um, Mm -hmm. And like you said, increasing those percentages of a non-sales KPI. And then if I can't hit that KPI by, you know, let's say the term is one year. If I'm, if the main KPI is uh, impressions, let's let's say, and I get them, I promise them 30 million impressions and I hit 25 million. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, uh, one thing I've been doing lately is like a, a KPI guarantee to where if it takes me another month, another two months, another three months, to hit that KPI that we promised, we're going to do that and we'll do it pro bono. So it's on us to mm-hmm. do whatever extra we have to do to meet that target. And it's a safety net for a lot of these new brands. They yeah. are taking a risk into a new industry. They don't fully understand esports or gaming or whatever any of this is. They just know they want to do it, much like the stock market, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. So it's, uh, yeah. um, people just see you know the stocks rising or falling and they want to get on in on it because everybody's talking about it. It's a very similar thing here. They don't know yeah. how to do it or they don't truly understand the space. 
So it's a, it's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes they want to devious get too much, right? They want to make yeah. a 200% return on exactly. the first campaign and, and they won't accept anything less. I've definitely had those discussions before. And, you know, what you're saying too is, you know, definitely something that I've done with influencers in the past, which is like a minimum guarantee of views. You know, I worked with, I worked with MSI and one YouTuber to do, um, like a graphics card promotion and, you know, booked a minimum impressions and he didn't reach it in the first video, uh, cause the video bombed. So he just put it, chucked exactly the same pre-roll into a second. And same yeah. as what we were talking about before. You know, he hadn't sold that second video anyway. So, and he'd already made the pre-roll. So it was literally just copy paste <laughs> into the yeah. middle of the video. It didn't take him any extra. And then the client was happy because then he over delivered by 20, 30%. And he gave them an extra video. So they're super, they're super happy. So it's just about finding those metrics that work for you. Right. And I guess it's important for like anyone listening to, to, to find too that every company sees things different. Like a betting company is going to see things much more in a cost per acquisition compared to a Red Bull who really loves can in hand and they love cool experiences. You know, I, I very much doubt they can directly track the amount of sales that happened when a guy jumped out of a balloon in space. Um, he didn't have like a buy now link that he yeah. had like on his stream. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, you know, that, and that stuff. And that actually, that was a question I was going to ask you. And I always, I'm, a, I'm always, I don't know if it's a healthy skepticism, but coming from my history working at Corsair and Thermal Tape, I'm always so skeptical of, of two things. Number one is a team talking about how many people watch them on stream and yeah. what that actually means for the brand. And two, logos on jerseys full stop. What, how much that actually means for a brand. I'd love to get your opinion from the team side and like, how do you sell the importance of you being main stage at Rainbow Six Siege Finals mm. and the broadcast, but also the weight of having all of your content creators with a NVIDIA logo on their jersey compared to no logo? Yeah. So uh, that, that's a question that's that's really you want to frame around what the client's goals and initiatives are. So some clients yeah. are extremely focused on, let's say, uh, like I said, there's some that just want, they just want to sell product. They don't care how you do it. They just want to sell products or signups or whatever, you know, their main ROI KPI is. Conversion, um, yeah. Conversions, yeah. At, at that point, jerseys don't make sense, right? Jerseys aren't going to sell conversions. Um, direct uh, CTAs, like building tournaments where you have casters that you can control and they're pushing the product during the tournament. You have chats and uh, or links in the chat bot. You have a YouTube campaign where you know we have guys like uh, you know Zero and Pokemon is a big YouTubers like doing a 30, 45 second YouTube pre roll with the with the description link below, right? Like those are your ROI based mm. campaigns. Or we do like a website takeover. You know, we get like 2 million hits a month on our website. So we can rescan all the ad space. And like that is clearly just a promotional space. Um, mm. That So that's the goal of the partner. Then we focus on that. Uh, some partners are very focused in building that association with a with competition. Uh, you know, we, we some, some partners like they, they focus on the esports story, story or the competition story where they have the best mice or the fastest keyboards and they you want the association of being on stage and reaching that that peak of or that level of performance with using their product so for them um having that association of, of a jersey and seeing that jersey on stage like lifting trophies or you know always being at the finals is is very important because it builds an association in the viewer's mind between that product and that level of success in competition yeah yeah, I think that's well said. And I think adding to that too, uh, specifically about the second point you were saying is, is how, how you can use your B2C promotion in a B2B process as well. 
So like a direct example is a work for Thermaltake for four years. And they, at that time, they had low consumer confidence. And we sponsored a professional StarCraft 2 player. And that wasn't just for the consumers. It was also for the salespeople at, at the stores. So I would bring Pig, his name is, he's a commentator and streamer these days. I would bring him with his TT Battle Dragon bag, it was called, with his keyboard, mouse, mouse pad, headset inside it, and take him to the salespeople. He would open up and be like, hi, I'm a pro gamer. This is the stuff I use. And he would give them a product training. And it would give them so much confidence. And I did the same at, at Corsair. We have a, a um, store in Australia called JB Hi-Fi, which is very similar to Best Buy, just a bit more chaotic, mm-hmm. which is the way we like it in Australia. And, you know, I had a professional League of Legends player that we sponsored, came along and did product training for their internal sales conference. And you could just see, like, the staff loved that so much more. And that's how, for me, on the sponsor side, I was able to get so much more value out of my team rather than just the promotion online. It was bringing them into that B2B sales concept too. Yeah, was, I think... Yeah, which is great. Yeah, to your point, to the, to the business side of things, it really it validates the product. If you have these, you know, best of the best, cream of the crop players that are testing and using their gear on a day-to-day basis, it validates the technology and the product that they're making. For the consumer, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's very similar to influencer marketing, right? Uh, I mean, at this point, you know, Twitch streamers and content creators on YouTube... I mean, they have the most loyal audiences out there besides, you know, podcast viewers. Um, but the reason for that is that these these audiences are consuming this Twitch content, this YouTube content on a day-to-day basis to where they're watching the same content creators every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They get to know this person better than their friends, right? Like they build this this online relationship, uh, mm. this one-way connection with the, with this uh, with this personality. and they trust them. So if you see your favorite esports player or your favorite content creator or whatever using or talking about their gear of choice they use to make the content that you consume every day, of course you're going to trust their word over anything else you see. Um, so that's, mm. I think that applies to the competitive side of, of the business also. It's like, you know, if I see Stewie2K winning every tournament in CSGO and he's always using a Razor gear, like I'm going to, I'm going to associate Razor with that um, with that level of, of success um, mm. because Stewie's my favorite player or you know or or uh, MIBR or Liquid or whoever CS:GO team is my favorite team and what do they use I want to use that um, yeah yeah so that's that's a good uh, I guess I want to do what my what my uh, role models do I want mm. I want to me- be I mean, my six su- their success and measurement is my success and how do I get there is by using the products that they use or the services that they, they use yeah and, and uh, sorry Chris I mean uh, I just wanted no, to say right. too um, one thing that we've been trying to do, especially lately with brands is I, I think right now in the conversation, it, it's going towards, okay, competition or influencers. And there's, there's this middle ground that like not a lot of teams have really explored. And that is lifestyle content. And th- th- there's more than just competition and there's more than just YouTube video creators, right. Or uh, just chatting. Like we have, like we can take uh, this whole new category of whatever you want to call it with, with content entertainment to where, we're able to insert brands that usually don't make sense at all in the esports market. Um, say, I don't know, let's say like specialized bikes, right? A, a, a very high end biking bike company. Like, how do you bring that into an esports team? Well, you make content around it, right? Like, so with us, we have we have the studio in Hollywood. We're building this lifestyle content that uh, that everybody's starting to see roll out now, to where we're creating shows and content based around gaming and streaming culture, to where we're getting out of the headspace of competition. And out of the headspace of like just strictly gaming focused content. And we're making uh, these initiatives that are attractive and I guess 
where we can insert any brand we want from any category or any market and it makes sense. We can build content around whatever their goals and initiatives are or it actually expose them to goals and initiatives they don't, they don't even know that they had. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense for sure. It's And I mean, it's it's all about widening the market and a really mm-hmm. easy and other to understand example of that would be Phase Clan, right? Yes. Like they're not... I. You know, and I'm friends with a bunch of them, and I really hope they don't take this the wrong way. But I would almost call them like a token esports organization at this stage, just because what they're doing is so much bigger than esports. That that you've got, say, like a sliding scale. I feel like you've got one side which is like a team liquid, a cloud nine, which is traditional sports team, esports team, all about winning, all about being the best at CS:GO, League of Legends, whatever the tier one esports are at that period of time. Then you flow somewhere towards the middle. You have a hundred thieves. You know they're they're placing well in in tournaments um, across Fortnite and and across uh, League of Legends and and um, you know obviously got the Aussie CS:GO boys there so I have to support them contractually yep. obliged by being an Australian to support them <laughs> but they've also got some great content and then across the left is Phase. When's the last time you saw Phase Banks play a game? Yeah. I, I don't know. And he's more of a lifestyle influencer than anything else. He's hanging out with rappers every day. He's popping bottles in a club on a Wednesday. You know before lockdown. Um, you know, yet they just received investment from something like FaZe did a 40 million series A with some ridiculous amount, like six rappers, like four NBA guys just throw in a, um, they just like threw in a Dutch footballer just because like, you know, and yes, they do have a Counter-Strike team. Yes, they have a Rainbow Six Siege team. And yes, some of their Fortnite guys compete. But I mean, Fortnite is so blurry between content, lifestyle and game. You know, Fortnite is almost a lifestyle of its own. Um, and yeah, so much of the content and stuff is around lifestyle. If you look at the phase channel, a lot of the time it's, it's challenges between a lot of the players doing cool things. I mean, they did a video of Ozzy Osbourne where they're reaching into a box. Yep. You know, yep. that is not about gaming at all, but it's now about selling that. And I think that's why they on their hand have been able to launch the, they launched the Rebel Whopper, you know, the meatless Whopper. It's got nothing to do with esports at all. And, you know, they did the things with Aussie Osborne and received this investment from rappers. And now when, you know, if I talk to any any Instagrammer, basically, anyone who cares about Gucci and Balenciaga, FaZe is the only thing they know because they <laughs> associate FaZe with cool and gaming is almost like the check mark. It's like, yeah, you're a gamer. Like, yeah, you play games. That's fine. You know, you've passed. That's the cool pass to get in the door. But it's really about what you're wearing and who you are and your lifestyle and what car you drive and, and things like that too. So I definitely think you're right in that sense. I'd love to have a bit of a chat with you about kind of like the direction of Tempo Storm because it's completely different to pretty much everyone else, right? Like I feel that like within esports a lot of the time, I feel like there's almost three segments. There's there's one segment which is kind of like a lot of the a lot of the traditional style titles. So there's the Overwatch, the CSGO, the League of Legends, the StarCraft 2, etc. And a little bit separate from that is fighting games. Mm. And then also separate from that is card games. So you know, I operate mainly in the first section and I'm trying to learn about two and three. Know quite a bit about fighting games now over the past few years, but still trying to learn about card games with a periphery understanding. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to learn from you. I had to talk to Raynaud a little bit about this, but about your direction. Not only just like, not only just like why card games, but why double, triple down on card games. And then even now to the fact of say quadrupling down in the, in the fact that you're developing your own game, you know, to release that yeah. to public and how, Actually, that's another question. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that first. I've got to follow up. Yeah, there's, there's a lot in that. <laughs> so um, I think the, the, the first thing that I want to get out there is that um, we are absolutely not a card game company. Uh, we are, but we're not. Uh, so I, I think a lot of that is attributed to the fact that, you know, at one point in time, you know, Raynette was arguably one of the best card game players out there, at least one of the most known. Um, yeah. 
and you know top streamer on Twitch for a while. So you know Temple became known for hard games, right? Um, we even even back then. I mean, we so, so let me let me get let me kind of figure out where I want to go with this. So or how to sure. frame this. So step one is that in everything that we do, we want to be providing value to the community, to the scene that we're involved in, whether it is esports, whether it's content, whether it is de- developing our own game, right? Mm-hmm. The the core for us is giving back to the community and be making interactive and immersive content. Uh, the interactivity is the key there. So back in you know 2014, when when the company was founded, um, again, it was around Hearthstone. Hearthstone was around a card game, one of the most popular games in the world at the time. Um, and then we developed the meta snapshot, which we were one of the first ones to do that. We were the first ones to to give back to this one of the largest communities in the world in a very real way. It's where we're, we're building deck guides and bring on pros to do to do videos and articles and like helping mm-hmm. the scene to to become better. Uh, so for us, it's like, how do we do that? Like, how do we take that legacy and apply it to everything that we're trying to do now? Um, so the first natural step was getting into more card games because we were we were the card game brand then. We still are now, um, but mm. it's like, okay, so how do we apply that formula and evolve that formula to fit, you know, Shatterverse and Magic the Gathering and Magic the Gathering Arena now? Um, that's a whole new uh, a ball game there from Magic the Gathering Tabletop. Um, mm. And Legends of Matera, you know, coming out in three days. You know, how do we make a real impact on those scenes? And, you know, I think we, we had a very real discussion around, uh, you know, <laughs> we are perceived as the card game team in the space. You know, what's the value of that? Uh, is that a good story for us like moving forward for, for brand partners, right? Because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest, we, we, we'd have a lot of trouble over the last few years uh, getting partnered with these high-performance, uh, you know, like peripheral companies, things like that, that. That, like, to my point, you know, wanted to see trophies lifted in these, you know, first-person shooter games like CSGO or, or like these very mm-hmm. popular games like League of Legends. Um, so we had to really dive into... Like, okay, what's the value of owning the strategy card game space? And mm. for us, it's, I think I can get into that a little bit, but uh, a little bit later, but um, how we're taking, so, so how we're taking that into, we're evolving that intention and that message into content now. So to your point with FaZe, like they are, they're the lifestyle brand. You know, they make the, the best, most well-known YouTube videos out there of any team. Um, mm. Our bread and butter is Twitch and live broadcasting. Uh, again, Andre being one of the number one streamers on Twitch for a couple of years there. Uh, you know, we were a top brand on Twitch for a couple of years. Um, and so Twitch is something that we know very, very well. Live streaming, I should say, is something we know very, very well. And, uh, you know, going back to Game Changers, we that was the first point where, like, how do we evolve the typical viewership experience from a live platform perspective into something more and something so much more to hit that interactive immersive content strategy that we have now. And that's where game changers came from. That's where we got the idea to fly Renan around the world, um, you know, have chat interact with him, determine what he does on the day-to-day basis. And that evolved to the game changers that we see now in 2020, where we, you know, have Jake and bake as the host. Um, and the idea is that this, this travel shows interactive show, it can be any host, but the main point is that we can go anywhere in the world, curate these these experiences that any, no one's ever seen before, and and the live stream chat is again having the agency to affect that. That's going to be our like our stamp on the scene. You've seen the progression of, let's say, I, I just I keep saying Twitch. Obviously, it's, it's the most popular platform. So I'll say I'll talk about the evolution of Twitch here. So Twitch started as Justin TV you know, with four guys being broadcast twenty four hours a day in their, in their bedroom or in the home, right? And then, mm. you know, 
they professionalized and became Twitch, get bought out. Uh, so Twitch became uh, the place for competitive games, right? The, the most watched content on Twitch for its first uh, iteration was uh, pro players being really good at games and the consumers that content wanted to learn how to be really good at those games too. That mm-hmm. evolved into more casual games. You see like, you know, Call of Duty, Call of Duty become more popular and Fortnite become more popular and games like that um, start to take over more casual games to where uh, the content creator was a lot more intentional about interacting with the stream chat and getting them involved with the game that they were streaming uh, more so than just being really good at the game. You know, people with very prominent personalities, very, you know, whether it was um, very interactive personalities or bubbly personalities or whatever it may be, the personality became the focus rather than the game. That evolved mm-hmm. into what we're seeing now, which is just chatting. This is where we're seeing content creators not even play games. <laughs> like they're watching YouTube videos or they're cooking at home or they're taking their selfie stick with a little backpack camera and go to the restaurant mm-hmm. down the street and bring their audience with them, right? So we're seeing these these consumer trends go more towards the lifestyle side of the section uh, of the spectrum, um, but it's all still centered around gaming culture, right, and streaming culture. So again, for us, it's like, okay, how do we take our expertise in this market of live streaming, and how do we evolve it into something nobody's ever seen before, and capture this explosive category of you know what we call two way broadcasting or IRL streaming, and that's mm-hmm. again where game changers came into place. The creed of like we want to make immersive interactive content and you're going to start to see uh, studio shows come out from us where we'll have very large gaming personalities you know do uh dating shows or cooking shows or whatever the show may be or again the live streaming audience has the agency to determine what's happening on the screen whether it's they can be a part of the game show right they can be the fourth contestant or the fifth contestant or we have a massive prices right uh competition where twitch is literally all the the competition they're all betting on you know, whatever that may look like, um, mm-hmm. we're taking the interactivity to a whole new level to where we are in the game, of course, to where we're becoming an interactive media brand. We're not a card game brand. We're not an esports team. We, we make interactive media in esports, in content, and with our game, The Bazaar. Mm-hmm. That was a lot. I know, I know I just spoke a lot. <laughs> so no, no. Anything, no that makes sense. That down or, you know, I can, yeah, I can that makes sense. A little bit more too, but. I'm swatting a little mosquito away from my face as I talk. I apologize. But um no, I think I think there's a few things to pull out of that. Number one is is understanding your brand and who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that you guys do it well. You know, I think that um teams like Fnatic have always done it really well. Was a fan of them, you know, as a young kid. I think that obviously, you know, FaZe and Hunter Thieves do it well. And I think that some other teams don't necessarily um a lot of the time. You know, they kind of there was some words from from Nikolai um from Moon. And talking to him about it, and he was saying that, you know, if you were to take a lot of the top League of Legends teams and to ask someone, you know, what's the difference in identity between Team 1, 2, and 3 mm. with the average consumer or even the, the average esports fan be able to tell you what is the main difference? Maybe not. Whereas I could very clearly articulate the difference between Phase 100 Thieves um, and Tempo Storm, you know, three very different brands. But then also, like you were saying, is, is what is it worth to you? to being known in that market you know it's obviously great to be known within that card gaming market because it's something that's a bit different and then i I mean equally i guess with your history as well with fighting games you know being known in that market there was a team there was a team in australia that did this and i I love their case study which pulled them out from being a tier three tier four team up to a solid tier two and maybe even into a tier one where they're starting to get cash sponsorships 
because they rode that fighting games wave and that's what they did. They double, triple, quadruple down on that. And that's, that's what their identity was. They weren't trying to buy Counter-Strike teams because they didn't know about that. And they tried that once with League of Legends. They got a League of Legends team. Didn't work out well for them at all because they realized that none of the managers had passion to run a league team. And they also don't know anything about it. So what's the point? So they got rid of that. And then they, once again, doubled down on fighting games. And that's that's what they grew with. They grew with that industry. They became known for that industry. So, you know, it's always great to dominate a niche, you know, at some times. And the example I used before with like Pig, um, what really worked well for him is, you know, I managed him in 2012, managed and sponsored because that's what you did back in those days. Um, and, you know, he was always streaming to 8, 10, 20 concurrent viewers on Twitch, things like that. But he had this one moment when StarCraft had, they went, uh, this was like 20th anniversary, it went free to play, plus they had Twitch drops, and then boom, he exploded. And yes, StarCraft is a much smaller game now than most of the other esports titles, but as far as a personality on Twitch, he absolutely dominates that market. So even though it's a smaller market, he dominates. So then what's the, you know, what's the upside for him there? And he has been playing a little bit of card games, a bit of magic every now and then too, I've seen. But you know, it, it makes sense for him to really dominate or be the big fish in a smaller pond in that stage. Because then if he just switched and started playing Fortnite, I mean, there's unlimited amount of Fortnite streamers out yeah. there these days. Yeah. So what cut through is he going to have and his audience that he's built over that period of time don't watch him for Fortnite. And, you know, and that's, I mean, that's another discussion. I want to get into that. But yeah, yeah I think it, I think it makes sense. What What are you guys seeing in the, in the sponsorship market as a whole from traditional companies? How's your, how's your cut through being with those guys? Uh, what, as far as bringing in traditional companies or, or non-endemic? Yeah. And I guess the, and I guess to use exactly the same wording, cause, cause I know there's some people who are very dedicated to listen to every podcast thus far. Um, and, and it's very similar wording we use with Ann Matthews at Fanatic and Jeff Pabst at Phase is, is, you know, how are they maturing into the market and are they coming at a faster rate or a slower rate than what you're expecting? What's, what's the feedback from a lot of these traditional companies? And, you know, when yeah. are we going to see a, a Walgreens on your jersey or, you know, something like that? <laughs> It, it could be soon, honestly, but just because um, I'm thinking, thinking how, to, how to phrase this here because I don't want my words to be taken the wrong way. But, you know, COVID is a terrible, terrible thing. I wish it never happened. But, unfor- you know, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, for the gaming industry, it has, it has more or less been um, uh, a benefit. I, I may not be the right way to put it, but, you know, I think it's allowed us that I'd say it's allowed us to prove our worth. Exactly. It's, we've gotten a lot of attention, attention on our industry that we would just, it would taken a lot more time to get there. Uh, you know, again, we are one of the fastest growing industries in the entire world. So we would have gotten there anyways. Um, but this things have been much more accelerated now that, you know, everybody's at home, you know, uh, recording artists aren't touring professional play, uh, traditional sports players aren't out playing football or baseball or, or, or soccer. It's, um, you know, people, brands don't know, like they have to approach their entire marketing plan for the year for the next five years is fundamentally like they're having to, to pivot and they don't know where to pivot. So what do they see? It's like things that everybody's talking about right now, which is video games and esports. So mm-hmm. that's their first like, okay, well let's go check that out and see what, you know, what, let's explore that. So I would say my conversations with non-anemic brands have been accelerated uh, substantially uh, just over the last few weeks here. Or my uh, success rate with reach outs to non-endemics uh, has, you know, skyrocketed compared to six months ago, um, mm-hmm. just because I think because some brands and bigger broadcasting platforms, um, not, I, I wouldn't say took a risk, but like uh, 
became a little bit more aware of our industry and 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 pushed it a little bit further as far as you know viewership within the, the NASCAR series and other similar events like that um, really helped to validate this industry and a lot of those non-damage brands' minds and their marketing teams. And I think, yeah, they, they're seeing us as the experts of making content that is made to be consumed at home, uh, you know, or on a PC or a computer or, or, or a mobile phone. And, and um, yeah, I think, I think as a result, the, the rate that we're seeing these conversations happen has been greatly accelerated. Um, mm. I, I, again, I think even without COVID, we were getting there. Um, you know, you see like BMW going deeper and deeper and deeper with, you know, they're sponsoring more teams now, a team in every region, I believe now, um, rather than just cloud nine. Uh, you're seeing um, other brands of similar size like start to diversify, but these are ones that have been in for a little bit, right? So again, I think now we just have a vehicle for these non-demon brands that were on the outside looking in, like afraid to dip their toes in the water are now a lot more receptive to it in the conversation. I think now if you're thinking of how or 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 if you should be reaching out to non-demic brands now, I think now is is absolutely the time to do that. They're going to be a lot more receptive to conversations than than ever before. Here's a left of field question for you regarding that BMW thing. I'm glad you brought that up. So once again, a comment name dropped in way too many times. I'm going to have to pay him a royalty check. Jeff Jeff Faze Jeff Pabst from Faze, the chief revenue officer. I, I posted that BMW announcement. Um, and for those who are listening, basically BMW announced that they're no longer just sponsoring one team, they're sponsoring a team in every region. So there's a team in China, uh, there's a team in EU, there's a team in US, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's four, I believe, five five teams as a whole, four or five. Um, but Jeff's, Jeff's comments were interesting. He was saying the announcement video that all of these organizations shared um, was basically a, a combined graphic and video of all of the teams together. All of the teams had different cars that were skinned and all five of the teams were on a single video. It's his opinion that these teams are competitors and there's no way that A, he would want to share a sponsor with other teams like that, but B, definitely he wouldn't want to expose the other team's brands on his own social media. Mm. I'd be interested to see your your thoughts on something like that. Mm. That is an interesting question. Again, I, th- I think it just, it just comes down to how do you want to have the image of your brand perceived? You know, is is the importance of that exclusivity or is that exclusivity important enough to you to where... Um, you're closing yourself off those opportunities or saying no, right? Or you mm-hmm. have the luxury to walk away from those opportunities. A lot of teams, if you know BMW came to them, like, hey, we, we won't work out a deal with you, but you're going to be associated with four other teams. I would say the majority of teams aren't necessarily going to be in a position to say no. Um, would we? Probably not. We would probably say yes, uh, I assume. But there would be, but we, again, have di- very different expectations around the delivery of that content and how represented in it. Um, I think mm. our message of interactivity and being an interactive media company has to shine through uh, in the way that we're being presented, even in association with those teams, uh, whether it's some kind of, uh, you know, figure of, or, or some kind of like diversification of, of, I don't know how that we do it, but, you know, cloud nice competition, this team's this, this team's this, Tempo is our media brand. Or BMW, right? They're going to be making more lifestyle kind of stuff rather than competition focus. Um, we would definitely want that that message to come across. Um, mm. But I would say w- we probably wouldn't turn that down. It would, it would, it would see. We would still see that as, as being beneficial. Absolutely. Yeah, I can see both sides of the argument. Like one is, I did a podcast a long time ago with Walter Wang, who at the time was the head of esports at at HTC, and the reason that HTC got into esports was because, I believe it was. 
it was Cloud9 and I believe TSM came basically with a joint proposal that said, you know, if you guys want to get into esports, we're here together. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll both promote you basically two for the price of one. And HTC's been in esports in a large way ever since then because of that one engagement. So you can see that part of it. Teams wanted to get in. Um, but then I can also see part of Jeff's part of it where, I mean, phase for, for phase, you know, the phase up in the brand, that's everything to them. There yep. really is. And that's, and like I say to a lot of people as well is, is influencers trade on social capital. So they can't afford to lose that social capital because that's the worth of what they have. So by being uncool, they're, they're worth absolutely nothing. So, you know, maybe that's why, but also, you know, when I was at Corsair, if you, if you have a, an influencer who's got a PC sitting on their desk and it's got a Corsair power supply, RAM, um, it's got Corsair peripherals sitting next to it. It's got Corsair fans, but it's got an Antec cooler. There is no chance in hell that is going on the social media page. Not a chance whatsoever. You're not going to post a single thing. And similar with, you know, working with other brands. And this is what creates a lot of confusion because a lot of the time, um, in certain brands, the graphics card department is separate to the motherboard department, but you want to do a promotion, but you can't use like two different brand things. Yeah. And then there's also AMD gets involved in Nvidia. And I had this a lot of the time at Corsair, which made things very confusing. There's, there's those, there's those very strict kind of brand guidelines too. And I mean, you guys work with Nvidia. You know what it's like. We do a lot of work with Nvidia too. You know, they can be very strict about a logo has to be this color. It has to be this far away from other logos. It has to be represented in this way. It has to be up for this many seconds on a promotion. You know, I'm doing a promo right now with Nvidia and MSI and it's, it's, it's stipulated that the logo needs to be visible for at least eight seconds within this period of time. Like exactly that. And you know, they, they have to have the right panatone colors and be, you know, and I've had this before with Intel. It has to be a certain amount of pixels away from any other logo, and it can't be on a certain color background. And your PC case can't be red because that's AMD, and yeah. things like that too. So I'm interested to see like where that goes in the future. But I know that obviously Fnatic don't agree because they posted more about it. There was another graphic I saw, which was the updates of all of the BMW teams and how their first um, three matches I think went, or their first match went like in the season. Uh, yeah. It was pretty. It was a pretty funny graphic. It was something yeah. like everyone going three zero, but there were two teams that went zero three, but they just flipped it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that was pretty funny. But I can I can definitely see both, like both sides of the argument for sure. And mm-hmm. I I don't have an answer either way. It's uh, no, I, I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer. I think it just depends on the brand themselves. Uh, and again, your, your your strategy there. And, and I think it's a lot easier for the brands that are involved in that partnership because they're all in. They all compete in the same game. Like, yeah, in Cloud9 and Fnatic, they have a great relationship as organizations together. They've been associating themselves together for a long time now. Um, it's yeah. a very natural fit for them. Um, for us, I mean, having that category field would just be fantastic because that allows us to create some really cool content with an automotive uh, you know, dealer or, or manufacturer, um, mm. which fits in very well with our, you know, our Game Changers series or these other, these other content series we're wanting to make. Um, yeah. So associating other brands, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Um, it would, I think, the the benefits would outweigh, outweigh the 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 cost of, to us on that. There was um, another there was another interesting comment that I want to get your thoughts on too, which was around a scattergun pro- approach versus a direct approach. So there was a comment that you know why do you need to sponsor five teams when you could sponsor one and really double, triple, or I don't know what's the What's the word for five <laughs> after quintuple yeah. down on them? You know, um, I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on that too. Like whether, you know, you think that other brands should take a similar route. Should they try to sponsor three or four CSGO tournaments or should they really focus on one? Um, should they look at 
three or four different teams. And let's say that let's say that money isn't the barrier here. Let's say it's a global okay. massive brand like a BMW or a whatever else. I think I prefer personally. I, I prefer diversification and more. I would say maybe repetitive isn't the right word, but more uh, more reliable uh, support from the brand into whatever it is they're doing. So, so for example, with a tournament, mm-hmm. right? If you're a if you're a BMW of the world or Tesla or whatever, and you sponsor one esports tournament, I think the impact of that is not going to be as much as if you were to sponsor a series of them, because you're getting you're getting one hit and you're out. There's no to me again, just coming from the mindset of like community is is extremely important, and uh, how to embedding yourself in that. Supporting one event isn't going to do that. I mean, we, we've seen brands that try that over and over and over again. They'll, they'll come in and they'll support one CSGO tournament and they see like, oh, the results are okay, but they're not what we wanted. So they quit and they leave. And they never come back. And of mm-hmm. course, fans never talk about that brand again. They forget mm-hmm. about them. It's as if they, they might as well have never have done that. There's just a wasted $500,000 or whatever it was they spent. Um, yep. so Subaru, think- Subaru of North America CSGO tournament 2015 yeah. or something like that. Yeah. There's a direct example for you. Yeah. yeah. Call, called you out, Subaru. I love <laughs> Subaru. Let's get back in esports, please. Yeah. We, 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 we have the category open and we're, we'll, we'll talk. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, and then as, as far as the, the teams are concerned, if you're a global brand it, at that point, it depends on you know, what markets are you trying to hit, right? For mm-hmm. BMW example, do you want a team from every market? Or are you trying to reach every market? Sure. It makes sense to, to scatter gun across teams. Are you focused only on North America? Okay. At that point, my next question would be, do you just want the biggest team in North America? Then sure. Like go with phase or TSM or whoever. Um, but what's your, there has to be a wider strategy to that. Like what's your goal? Do you want to just be associated with trophies? Do you just want to be, do you want to make really great content? Do you want to be associated with lifestyle? Like, like what is, if you're not diversifying, like, I guess, what are the, what is the diversification in your marketing strategy that we can break down and then determine if it makes sense to put your budget towards multiple teams? Because as we're talking about earlier, as you start to get up the, I guess, the echelon of, of esports, I say esports with air quotes for those that are listening on audio. I'm making air quotes because esports is a very broad term now, right? Um, again, yeah. we're, we're not an yeah. esports team anymore. We're an interactive media company. Um, phase is arguably not an esports team. Um, so at that point, um, you know, what is, what is your marketing strategy or what are the diversifications in your marketing strategy as a brand? And if you're not considering those, like we need to consider that. Like there's a different audience for people that are consuming lifestyle, lifestyle content that will never even look at an esports competition. Yet there are teams that can serve both in very different ways. And so I think to have the broadest approach and the most success in this air quotes esports market, um, I think it is important to diversify across teams that provide, um, again, different market strategies or, or that hold, you know, audiences in these different um, in these different pods than 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 other teams do. I think that actually something you said earlier, Chris, about I think before we started getting into what we've been talking about here lately, I, th- I think you said that you're finding a lot of teams are taking like a very typical esports approach. Like they are just doing things just to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is a quick path to failure these days. I think, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to think back to what exactly you said, Chris, this is about uh, 15 minutes ago to where 
it's like the traditional like like usually like putting in other words that I've said in other podcasts is that so many teams are following the traditional sports model of creating yes. a team and they're all they're all trying to have the best Counter Strike team. Yeah, they're they all trying to yeah. have the best League of Legends and the Overwatch franchise all at the same time. Yeah. So I think you can't like 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 for us uh, again. Obviously, this is the I know tempo, and so I'm going to use a lot of examples around tempo. Um, but for us, like you'll you'll you will see us getting. So we are an interactive media company. Yet you will see us getting into these different esports titles. Yet we're not getting into an esports title just to get into it, just because it's big, just because it's you know, just because Valorant is coming out doesn't mean we're going to get into it. Just because League of Legends is one of the biggest titles in the world doesn't mean we're going to get into it. I think a lot of teams. Mm-hmm take that mindset of what's the next big game. I need to get a team in it. And that's my path to success. I think that's your immediate path to failure, to be honest, unless you're not already a cloud nine or a team liquid, um, it's not going to work. Um, I think you have to take the time to really define who you are as a company, what your mission is, how do you fit into this esports and gaming market? How do you differentiate yourself? How, uh, you know, how do you deliver to your fans and get them coming back for more? Is that competition? Great. Then you can start to consider getting into relevant titles. Um, again, for us, like we we got into Siege over other titles just because we feel like for Rainbow Six Siege, we're going to bring something to that community and that market that no one has before. We think we can have a real impact on that. We're in Smash Bros because of the same thing. You'll see stuff later this year. It's where we're going to be servicing that community unlike anybody's ever seen before. And same with mm-hmm. card games. Like, that is our legacy. So, of course, that was a very natural thing for us to stay in and continue forward with and go even deeper on. Um, but behind all of that is this very core mission to what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that's why we're not in CSGO or in League of Legends because it doesn't make sense for us. Mm. It's all about, I mean, in the end, it's all about what's your story and what are you known for, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, Team OG is known for Dota 2 and being the best and having these really shy, humble, players and mm-hmm. you know it was fantastic watching you know as a dota 2 fan it was fantastic watching the content coming out from red bull you know yep. really pushing them um you know really really pushing their stories behind the scenes people like topson who never talk at all you get to meet you know meet in quotation marks his family and his yep. parents and his brother talking about how he grew up and how he just started being better than them at games and you know things like that too or you know the phase thing of exactly what they're known for which is cool lifestyle you know, mm-hmm. things like that too. So it would make it would make no sense for them to get into a game like StarCraft 2 where the audience is much more reserved. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're a very different type of mentality of, of StarCraft 2 fan versus a phase. So, I mean, if they picked up StarCraft 2 play, it, it would be with the idea, I think, of to revolutionize the scene and nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah think, it wouldn't make that, sense. But, because of that creed or, or the, that mindset, that speaks to why they would never want to be involved in something like the you know global BMW campaign. It's like it, it just does not fit with what their goals and initiatives are and, and what is on brand for them, off brand for them. And mm. they're in a position to, to say no, right? And and, and stay true to that. Um, mm. which I think that mindset is a key to success in, in this market. Because diff- diversification is key. Mm. Now and, bef- and before we cut off this chat, there's been a really, really good question that's come through. Um in the chat, I wanted to ask you this as well. So someone, I'll, I'll read it out word for word. So it said, Ryan, you mentioned having a category open, but what about a direct competitor that comes in and replaces a category and then the old competitor is remembered for a year? Like, how do you manage that? So how do you manage a direct competitor taking over from an old, let's say you've, you've been marketing Corsair for a while and suddenly they're off and within six months raises on your jersey? 
Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. It's it has to be done with tact. <laughs> you, you never want to actually, you know, defame or uh, or you know say negative things towards your previous partners because that that is or was a stage in your life cycle as a brand that 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 made sense for whatever reason or another, whether it was just the revenue or whether it was because of a a brand mission. But I would say most of the time, the reason partners are leaving or new ones are coming back in is there is a misalignment with either either a like just the partnership is bad on one end or the other. So people, you know, the the misalignment is there at at that point or, you know, brands change. Uh, They're like people uh, for the most part, at least especially now uh, where everybody's in that startup mindset, startup market, really finding themselves and finding their place in this industry. If you're not already there, like some of the top teams, um, I think there's a lot of exploration happening over the years of, you know, to where the brand messaging may not quite align. So you need to move on to to a new one. I think it's important to have that message to say like, look, you know, of course that was great for us. It got us where we wanted to go for the year. We, we got them, we accomplished their goals for the year, but look, moving forward, like this is who we want to be and, and what we want to portray. And it's just, we just couldn't accomplish that together. So now we're partnering with, with, with Razor or, or whoever to, to do that because we feel that where we're at as a company now, where Razor is and the resources that they have um, really mesh well for the future of this company and where mm-hmm. we're at, where we're going to be at for the next year or two years. I, th- I think that's yeah. very honest and I don't want to say safe, but as long as the message is honest, like I think it's a, it's a safe approach to it. And one one way to get around that is something that I talked to Jeff about on the on the podcast as well as, you know, they're, they're trying to sign minimal traditional sports team 12-month sponsorships and trying to work on content-based things. You know, they launched the Rebel Whopper. They did a, a single launch with the NFL, you know, a, a co-clothing launch, and they did a broadcast. They did some things with Champion. They did a, a once-off a Luke or Lemonade, like these kind of things too, because then yep. you're, not, you're not locking yourself into that scenario where you're known for always being still series or always being something like that. And I think a case study for anyone who's listening to look at would be EG. Because they went from Steel Series to Razor, mm-hmm. and they were with Steel Series for a long, long time. Because that's when that's when Steel Series' thing was, you know, their tagline was "Winning is everything," and they sponsored basically every Counter Strike one point six team in the top ten in the world. You know, Tyloo in China, EG in the US. Uh, they sponsored Fnatic in Europe. They sponsored SK, which was, you know, pretty much a Swedish team as well as as Fnatic at that time. They sponsored the ECIC Box Boys over in Poland. You know, they sponsored literally everyone. So, and that was an interesting change. And there was some, there's some media that would still be on their social media about their change over there too. So that'd be a great case study. What's, what's coming up next for you, Ryan? You, you, um, you teased some, um, things about Smash Brothers. You teased some Rainbow Six Siege content. And obviously you guys have a card game coming out as well. Is there any updates on that that you can talk about? Yeah, so I uh, can't talk too much about it, but I mean, we uh, you can see on, on Andre's channel, Renad, uh, on his YouTube channel, he does very regular developer updates there. Uh, so if you want to keep up with the game, the development of it, it's a great resource for that, really like intimate inside look into like what he's thinking with everything from the design of the game to the network code to the artistic style. Um, he's the lead designer on it and the, and the creator of it. So it's directly from his mind. So I would definitely advise watching that series to get more mm-hmm. input on bizarre itself um as far as timeline I mean, we're, we're looking around q2 of this year of uh, next year excuse me uh, for a very rough release date uh, again it's very rough depends on you know a, a few mile markers there uh but we're looking at the game out next year and this is essentially going to the, again this this 
for us, it, it, it's a very big deal because again, it, it, it harkens back to like our legacy of, of card and strategy games. Um, who better to do that than, than Tempo? Um, like the card strategy game team out of any esports team. Um, it taps into our interactivity piece because you can't really get more interactive than your fans and creating a game for them uh, and with them, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And as far as a business model is concerned, from a marketing perspective, I think we will be the first team ever to have the full you know, marketing circle uh, available to us as far as what I mean by that is like usually with with esports and games you know you have the developer and you have the uh maybe in the marketing team and then you have the esports team that's that feels the competitors in that game but for us you know we're making the game it's all in-house we have the influencers to market the game we have the pro players to compete in the game and to push the game from a competitive aspect and then all these these three things feed into each other right so um, the game is marked by the influencers. The influencers get excitement about the game, bring in the people that want to play the game. Uh, more and more people see like there's this big competitive base for the game, so then they go and buy the game. And it's just a big, a big infinite loop uh, that Tempo fully owns. I think, uh, yeah, we will be the, the first and only team to to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also just from an asset standpoint, this this stands to be the. I mean, as much as we've done in esports and gaming, I think this this stands to be the most significant. Thing that we've ever done just because uh especially being a card game there's no there's no real like card games don't die after five years right the card games live on for decades you know magic's been around for decades at this point the harsh one's about to reach that point um to where this this can literally become like an, an infinite source of revenue for us and an inf- infinite you know, way for us to give back to the community and put on events and field players and influencers and and keep us out of the business going. Um, this is mm. this is really special to us from a lot of different aspects. And uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, it hits your questions and 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 gives a little more insight there. But you know, we we have a lot of eggs in this basket, um, and we we think it's going to be great. So it's unique, interactive. Hits our point of the interactive media company, and uh, again, keeps uh, everything in house. And we'll be the first to do so. And if anyone wants to follow you or your team online, where where can they do so? Yeah, so uh, the team, you can go to Twitter at uh, Tempo underscore Storm. And my Twitter is it's so ITS underscore Roost, R-O-O-S-T. Uh, same thing on my Twitch, even though I hardly ever stream unless there's a charity event. <laughs> so uh, mostly Twitter is where I'm a little bit more active. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's all we got, Chris. Yeah, fantastic, man. It's been a good chat. It's always good to have a chat that's kind of like a meeting. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, it's been great, man. It's been a, it's been a, a good hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got a lot covered. A All right, thanks, one. mate. Yeah, yeah quick man. one. Not, not a Joe Rogan three hour. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm ready. I got my coffee ready. Let's go. I'm only halfway done. <laughs> halfway done. We got to talk about chimps and DMT, and then we're good to go. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks, mate, and thanks to everyone who's listening in, whether live on Twitch, uh, on LinkedIn, listening back to the VOD or the audio only podcast. We got plenty more of these coming out. Uh, we've got some interesting discussions with Phase Clan and their 40 million Series A coming up, and. And quite a few other guests. We've been inundated with requests recently, so we're booked up for the next next three, four, five weeks or so. So it should be some fantastic amount of content for you guys. And you know, for anyone who's tuning in live on LinkedIn or is following me on LinkedIn, and would like to watch. We're we're doing these two per week, pretty regularly, uh, in in very similar time zones, time slots, and they'll always be announced beforehand. So happy to see you all in the chat. Happy to talk to you. Thanks everyone. Enjoy. Bye for now. Bye everybody.
Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 